on the uh, on the bridge walk today. Got out reasonably early this morning, so I'm uh, enjoying the, the best walking walking weather, I think. Just about perfect. Just walking up through the plantation. Beautiful Scots pines on my left. Made a bit of an effort to get out early today. Feels like a good thing to have a clear head and get the heart and lungs going. I was going to say a few words about taking refuge in the Dharma. A little while ago, I, I spoke about taking refuge in the Sangha. Um, which has many meanings. It's basically being in contact with those who are training, those who are teaching. In formal terms, there's a monastic sangha, which is the, the monks, and informally there's, well, actually, I guess formally there's a lay sangha that I, I'm part of, I suppose. Uh, and we're all training together from a distance, obviously, at the moment, most of us. up to the top of a small rise in the woods here. Typically when these things are talked about you might do it in the in the order Buddha Dharma and Sangha. Because normally one takes refuge in the Buddha, takes refuge in the Dharma and takes refuge in the Sangha. But as I started on the Sangha first, I'm going to do, uh, do the Dharma. And again, it's a multi, um, has a multitude of meanings. Uh, the Dharma is technically 
the teaching of the Buddha and the teaching of Buddhist teachers in general. So if you go onto the Throstle Hole website, you'll find a section called Dharma Talks, which I recommend. And Dharma includes spoken word like those talks, also the written word. So the Buddhist scriptures would be known as the Dharma and other writings also. There's also another meaning which I've always found uh, intriguing and inspiring, useful, which is um, dharmas are things, so anything is a dharma. And uh, it puzzled me, kind of challenged me in a way. As, a, as part of the commentary of the, um, the precepts, a sort of uh, codified expression of how we wish to live, which says that, <coughs> excuse me, which says that. Uh, even stones, bricks, tiles, wooden posts and so on. These all teach. And uh, I think it's like a lot of these apparently um, esoteric things, which um, if you come at them from an intellectual perspective, it, that may seem to be <clears throat> just a bit strange and you know, how does a brick teach but then sooner or later hopefully sooner maybe already when you actually start paying attention to things you recognise that that's just the simple truth. One of the things which helps us to pay attention is meditation. Because in the practice of meditation we're laying down distraction. We're laying down the habits of thought, the things we fill our minds with, really. doesn't necessarily happen all at once. Typically, it's a slow, old process. But the more we do it, the more we're open to the, the reality around us, and the more we're able to see the teaching which is right there in front of us. Morning. Okay.
So that's external objects as Dharma. And there's another there's another aspect of it which I think is important and maybe overlooked sometimes. And that is interior things as Dharma. Um, and by that I mean emotions, thoughts themselves, physical feelings. And these things are very often tied up with each other. I think it becomes obvious when we're in extremity. Grief, for example, is an incredibly, I think, I think typically, but an incredibly physical sensation. And I think it's part of my of my koan, I suppose, my background, my makeup, in a sense, which uh, prompts me, guides me into tending to think of things in a very intellectual way, in a mental way. So I tend to think of, I, I have grief categorised as some sort of mental state, but actually it's it's very much a physical state, it's very much a state of whole body experience, mind and body. And I think this is basically always true. Everything is always mind and body. But if you're like me, it's easy to forget or want to ignore certain aspects of things. And uh, so it can, can be a recurring surprise, a recurring shock when you realise the the actual physical aspects of sadness, for example, or depression. Uh, I think one of the one of the things which one of the very earliest things which really made me sit up and take notice was a real shock was reading in a book, I forget which book it was, but in Buddhism, you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts are just what happens to be going on in your mind. And I remember being perplexed, amused, shocked by that. It may not seem a particularly radical suggestion but I think to me at that time it was I was trying to think my way through everything and uh, it's, a, it's a attribute and habit that I have but I think what the author of that book was pointing to with that sentence was something which has been pointed out many times since, which is that thoughts, for example, are seen as uh, sense objects, in a way. So I can 
observe a thought in the same way that I can observe a tree. I happen to be walking past a rather wonderful oak tree. Uh, and because so much of my experience has been um, being effectively out of control of my mind in a, in a way, I think it's a, and that sounds a bit dramatic, but really just being uh, in a situation where a lot of the time I'm thinking the same old thoughts in the same old order, just like a train clunking down a track for the umpteenth time. And I felt in the past very constrained by this, not to mention bored by it ultimately. Uh, so to actually be shown that in fact there is a different relationship that can be had with thoughts and feelings and stuff that's going on in the mind which is seen as a sense organ, like the eye or the nose. That was an amazingly liberating idea and immediately made me feel that this was something that I wanted to explore. And over the years through meditation, I have been exploring that. And in some ways, this the more I've dared to allow that to be the case, the more I found it to be true. Because there is a giving up involved. There is a renunciation involved. For me, the idea that one can explain the world sufficiently to find peace within it. Uh, I think that was my basic strategy. But... Although there's definitely a place for, for understanding, and I think it helps on the path, if you like, it can be useful to have interim stories keep on going. I think it's almost like when the first story falls away, even though we replace it with a, with hopefully a better one and we keep going, which is great. I think once you've seen one story crumble, I think it becomes clear that actually the next story won't be much different than the one after that and the one after that. So there's a kind of shifting of refuge from our own defensive stories. Oh, helicopter coming over.
yeah um there's a shifting from our from using our stories as our our refuge to looking for something which is unchanging and really dependable so in some ways taking refuge in the dharma is actually allowing dharmas to be dharmas allowing things to be things allowing thoughts to be thought objects and allowing them to take their proper place because thought is incredibly useful there's no question about that but it's definitely something that we need to be users of not so good to be dominated by one's own thoughts. Similarly with feeling. Sometimes feelings can seem overwhelming. And recently I've been dealing with depressive thoughts which seem really huge, really massive and thankfully I've been, I promised myself that I would keep up my meditation every day and what I've actually found is that when faced with these really big seeming feelings if I relax and allow my meditation to broaden rather than be in a kind of defensive mode, a recoiled mode which I'd adopted without even realising it it was kind of, it's one of those the answer is in the question kind of things. The response is in the challenge. The extent and size, breadth and depth of meditation that I needed to exhibit or allowed to be there was actually called for by these I'm just going to open the gate here apologies it's going to squeak I think just threw into, into the field which is the steepest bit of the walk so I'll be puffing a bit um, yeah so the response it's called forth by the challenge. And the good thing is that 
I think when we let it, when we realize the truth of it, there is no limit to the breadth and the depth of meditation which is available. So these challenges, these things that may seem really big, really insurmountable, Actually, compared to meditation, they're just little blips. But it's only by sitting in this depth and breadth of meditation that you realize the, the complete sufficiency of meditation. But it seems like you have to let it be there. So there's a kind of humility required, which is weird. Because you'd think that the ego would want nothing more than to let go of these difficult things. But I think there's a Sometimes a judgment about our capacity. Sometimes based on how we've responded to challenges in the past. But how we've responded in the past doesn't need to be how we respond this time. This time really can be different. In fact, this time is different. We're different people. Circumstances have changed. And every time these challenges come up, there's an opportunity to go deeper, to meet the challenge. So I've had some pretty I suppose, oh, groping for a word here, good meditation periods where I've really felt that I've been letting go into something broader and bigger. And just as I thought I was getting a handle on it, uh, those really strong feelings seem to have evaporated. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, Darn it, I could have done with that sticking around a bit longer because I really feel like I want to train with that. However, I'm comfortable. But I don't think this is unusual. We don't get to write the script. And the Buddha does have a smile on his face however slight and the laughing Buddha is laughing so <clears throat> it's good not to get too serious about this stuff otherwise you can try and become a, some sort of Buddhist knight riding into battle all the time which is really not I don't think that's what it's about at all so anyway I had an opportunity to train 
And I think, I hope, I met the challenge at that time. And I hope I've learned a bit from that. And who knows when it'll come back, if it'll come back. It may be here sooner than I think, given the nature of things at the moment. I'm hoping that experience will help in the future with recognising that I do have resources that I sometimes don't realise. Possibly quite long and slightly idiosyncratic account of Dharma. Trying to broaden what you may think of Dharma, think of as Dharma. And I suppose to finish, it's just a reminder to treat everything as an opportunity for practice treat everything as a teacher. It's something that the founder of the order that I, that I practice with said as she went into an incredibly difficult situation, which was training as a woman in a male temple in Japan in, I'm not quite sure what year it was, sometime in the 50s. This is a tough thing to do. A tough thing to do even uh, with the best circumstances or the most convenient circumstances. But yeah, a Western woman just post-war. In a very uh, male-dominated environment. She said to herself early on, I just have to believe that everything that happens to me is happening for my own benefit. And I think that kind of attitude is an amazingly powerful thing. So I guess I'll, uh, I'll carry on puffing my way around here on this wonderful morning. So wherever you are, I hope you have a great day and stay well.